Spirit leads you where he will. And, and the reason I do that is because we get the impression that I'm the holy man and I've got it all figured out. <laughs> if the rest of you could just be like me, the world would be a better place. But we all know that. If you get near me, you know that's not true. Just ask my kids. <laughs> and uh, so what am I going to work on? Well, I, I just want to get better at giving those specific areas of life that are concerning me to God. That's what I want to do. So I hope you'll, you'll hear something here today on these avenues, but I never know how God's going to speak. So let's get into our text. This is going to bring us to the close of the book of James. Uh, next week, I plan to start the book of First Peter, and I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be on handling suffering, how you can allow life's pain to make you better and not bitter. So uh, that's where we'll be. But today we come to the end of, of this exciting study of James. Have you, anybody, has anybody appreciated study of James at all? Yeah, I have personally. Glory to God. Yeah, we can be glory to God. Okay, here we go. Uh, this is James chapter 5, starting with verse 13. Is any one of you, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is any one of you, anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed... And the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Amen. And we heard the story, Larry's story, and how true it is. And he's resonating and saying, thanks for a mom who prayed for me when I was 14 years old. Yeah. But here we are, the end, concluding remarks of, of James. Just let me remind you of a few things that James has given us. First, he challenged us, live out your faith in practical ways. Right? In fact, let's read together James 1.22. Would you read that with me? Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. In addition, he's assured us that when we face adversity in these last days, that we can be confident that God is in control and that he is going to use all of it in our lives like a refiner's fire to make sure that we shine like the gold that God created us to be, right? Yeah. He's going to use it to temper us as well, to make sure that we become the ultimate finished product that he in, intends for us to be so that we can realize whatever we face in life it's all temporary jesus is coming life on planet earth is temporary and we want to be ready for when he comes so we have this patient endurance would you read with me james 5 7 be patient then brothers and sisters until the lord's coming yeah so now, here we are, James wants us to know that God is the answer to whatever may come your way, whatever need may come your way. His provisions, uh, 
through and to his people are more than enough than what we could ever imagine, what we could ever hope for, uh, what we could dream of, and all these things. So eight times right here, he uses the word pray. Just notice it in the text. Are you in trouble? Pray. Are you sick? Pray. Are you in the midst of a struggle? Pray. Do you have a need? Then pray. And as you do, have others pray for you. Pray in faith. Pray believing. Pray out of a proper relationship with the living God. And James has the credentials to to teach us about prayer. Ancient historians write that he spent so much time on his knees that those closest to him actually called him camel knees. (laughs) Yeah. Now, have you been called some things in your life? I know I have. I've been called uh, four eyes. <laughs> I've been called big nose kind of thing. Yeah, what have you been called in, in your life? James was called camel knees. And so I Googled images of camel knees, and it's clear that camel's knees get really worn out kneeling in the desert sand. So either James has prayed so much that his knees are looking really ugly Or he's got friends just like you have and just like I have that would kind of say, if you pray that much, you're going to have the knees of a camel. And guess what? The name caught on. We'll just call old James Camel Knees. (laughs) He's got the credentials here. See? Uh, Whatever way that played out, James, uh, when he teaches us, he's already taught us a couple things of prayer. For example, in James 1.5. In fact, let's read this verse together. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Amen. That's in the midst of struggles, challenges in the last days, persecutions. If you lack wisdom, ask God. James 4.2, he says, you do not have because you do not ask. He knows about prayer. And then today we come to these three things that I just want to highlight. The first one is in verse 13. Are you in trouble? Is anyone here in trouble? And this is talking about being in the midst of some difficult circumstances. Paul uses the same word to describe himself when he's suffering at others' hands for the cause of the gospel. It's about persecution that he's facing. But it can also refer to things that you deal with. Let me just give you some of these. Uh, any affliction, whether physical, relational, emotional, or spiritual. It can be talking about a disease. It can be talking about discouragement. It can be talking about doubt, anxiety, financial hardship. It can be talking about relational uh, troubles. It can be talking about calamities and so forth, whatever may come our way. If you're in the middle of anything that causes hardship, there are a number of ways you can respond. Then I think about all the ways that I respond. (laughs) I kick, I scream, I get angry, I want to blame, I want to curse, I want to get frustrated, right? I want to try to take control of this thing, and all it does is stirs more and more anxiety in my life. It may uh, ease a little bit of the pressure for a moment, but ultimately it does nobody any good, right? So here's a better idea. What does Paul say? He says, pray. (laughs) Just pray. Yeah. 
Praying doesn't guarantee that the problem's gonna immediately go away, but, he, but some things I've discovered, there is peace in the presence of God. You better believe it. There are, there are those promises of miracles. There are those promises of, of provision. There are those promises of protection and so forth. But beyond that, we can find patient perseverance by simply being in the presence of God and giving him our cares. And that's why I love that verse. Cast your cares upon him because he prays. He cares for you. Pray believing, my friend. Pray believing and then trust God with the results. Blessed assurance. Oh, that's not the song. That's the song we sang, right? What a friend we have in Jesus, right? All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Yeah, got to love Fanny Crosby and that old song. But one of the things I really appreciate about verse, verse, 13, verse 13 is the duplicity here, or the not duplicity, but the law of contrast that I see right here. It's not duplistic in the sense that it's not contrary, but in the sense that it's a double-edged sword that we're talking about because not all of us are dealing with trouble at the same time. So it says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And, and, and right here, I think too often, uh, too, too many of us keep God tucked away in, in some back room of our lives only to call on him when we're in a bind. And only after all of our striving and all of our effort, then we say, I'll pray a, as a, a last resort. I think that's the way we, we work it. You know? and, and then someone says, you know, after all, I'm, who, I'm way too busy trying to deal with this thing. Who has time to pray? You know, you can kind of relate that way. So it's striving. It's pressing on. So the application here is about practicing praise and thanksgiving. And there is a distinction between praise and thanksgiving. Praise is simply getting to know who God is. Because when you know who God is, then you know what God does. Okay, so who is God? God is healer, God is provider, God is protector, God is wisdom, God is holy. I mean, we could go on and on with attributes of God that address every struggle and every issue of, of our lives, and God says, well, that's who I am. I'm the sufficiency for you in the midst of that, and that's where we begin to learn to praise God in the midst of our struggle. The second part is thanksgiving, and that's simply thanking God for what he has done in the past. Okay, do you get the difference? Huh? Praise who he is, thanksgiving what he has done. I heard a great quote this weekend. I've been away uh, since Wednesday at what we call District Conference, which is our uh, annual meetings to try to figure out how we're going to conquer the world. <laughs> and they're all good. We're going to plant 100 churches in the next 10 years together. It's going to be something else because the Spirit of God is moving in the world. But I heard this quote, and I loved it, and I think it's going to be part of me forever. If the only thing you get to keep tomorrow is what you gave thanks for today, what will you have? In fact, if the only thing you get to keep today 
is what you gave thanks for yesterday, what would you have? It's great. Practice Thanksgiving. Did you open your eyes this morning? Glory to God, you already have two things to be thankful for, two eyes to see with. Be grateful, my friend, because when you practice praise and when you practice thanksgiving, you're better positioned in those hours of need to ask. Amen. The second thing I notice is uh, in verses 14 and 15, where it asks the question, are you sick? And that could be questions like, are you weak? Are you feeble? Are you incapacitated? So it could also be used to describe someone who has a weak conscience or a weak faith. And if any of those are, are you, then uh, we get these three instructions on prayer that come next, starting with verse 14. And the first application there is call on the elders who can pray over you and anoint you with oil. The word elder is the word presbyteros in the original language. It's a special group of leaders in the church that you can read about in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1. Uh, They're described there as people who are upright in their lifestyle, mature in their relationship with Christ, and they operate out of godly wisdom. And they have a faith that shows their prayer life is active, whether privately or in the midst of somebody else's need, being involved in other people's lives. Now here at Summit, we don't use the word elder to describe people or to define people. but we have people who operate as elders, and so I just want to celebrate them and affirm them. A number of them are our prayer partners. I'm always calling you and saying, come to our prayer partners. They're here. They're available to pray with you. There are other people who aren't part of that, but they are people that when there's a really confidential prayer request, I will send it to them Because I know that they have faith to believe. I know that they walk upright with the Lord. And I trust them to carry these needs. And I know that they won't, uh, uh, you know, let them get out there for ears that shouldn't hear them. But they will bring them to God. And so I celebrate all of these people. So we have them meet some of these prayer partners, come to them for prayer. So you might be wondering, well, why do we anoint people with oil? And when you look at the original language there, it's almost like it's one action that says, pray while you're anointing with oil. And and there is this idea that back then, oil was used to heal everything. You know, like a big fat Greek wedding where Windex is used to fix everything. Uh, (laughs) Back then, oil was used, you know, as an ointment for healing, warm oil and such. But we do not, we should not get confused here because the power to heal isn't in the oil, okay? The oil is representative of something greater that's going on. And what that is, it's about consecrating the person being prayed for to the Lord And it's about the sweet presence of God's Holy Spirit that has to be present for miracles to happen. That's what that oil is all about. So hear it. It's a call. And I don't know why we don't come for prayer more often. But come to the elders and receive prayer. People, you are withholding blessing from people who are gifted prayers. When you allow them to pray for you, you're also allowing them to share in your victory when it comes, okay? So stop withholding blessing and receive prayer, (laughs) amen? The second is uh, the first part of verse 15 where it says, pray in faith 
which will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So what is the prayer of faith? Well, it actually translates the prayer of the faith. Okay, think of prayer, or think of faith as being a gift from God. Think of faith as being a muscle that you're given, given that develops as it's being used. Think of it that way. And ask yourself the question, do you have confident assurance of who God is? Do you have confident assurance of what God can do? And do you have memories of things that God has done in the past? And if that defines you, then simply put those things into action when you come to the Lord in prayer. That's just the way it works, right? And that's why I'll often start prayers for somebody with thanksgiving and with praise. God, you know this need, and we know who you are. And Lord, we've actually seen you do this in the past. Yeah. So when we were having kids, uh, having kids is a, a really great time in life. And we've been really fortunate to be in places where uh, young couples like us then were having kids at the same time. And we were involved in some small groups and different things where we developed great relationships over the years. But I'll never forget this one small group uh, where the, the husband, the father, was a great big guy. And, and yet a gentle giant, one of the sweetest people ever. And as we were getting ready to go home each time, uh, we'd kind of, you know, be gathering toward the door. And, and they had a 20-foot ceiling in their entryway. And uh, my friend loved to take his little kids, and he'd prop them on his hand just like this. And he'd aim at that ceiling. <laughs> and he'd go, Whoosh! And we'd all be watching, are you kidding me? And sure enough, here would come one of his little ones. And guess what the little guy would say? Do it again, Daddy. Do it again, Daddy. Right? Yeah. Here we go. Okay, who's next? Do it again. Do it again, Daddy. Those kids loved their daddy. They loved what their daddy can do, and they just wanted him to keep on doing it. And in our text today, the assignment on who we should call when we need prayer has to do with those people who understand a do-it-again daddy mentality. And when they pray, they're praying knowing who their daddy is. Is Now, I'll never forget a dear woman in our church who was diagnosed one time with a, an illness, and she said, I would like some folks to pray over me and anoint me with oil. But she said, but I don't want just anyone. She said, the last thing I need is for someone to pray for me that doesn't believe. She said, they'll just mess the whole thing up. <laughs> See, this gal understood a do-it-again daddy mentality, and that's the kind of people she wanted to pray for her. So let me just say this. If you ever find yourself in a church where the preacher has a message that essentially is three things that God doesn't do anymore, find another church. Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And my God is still touching people today. But it's very important that we also realize he's not nearly as concerned about temporal things like this temporal flesh, as he's concerned about eternal matters of the soul. 
Because the greater miracle is when a sinner makes the Lord his choice. That's the thing that causes angels in heaven to rejoice. There's a qualifier to every prayer that's ever prayed, and that is, what is God's will? Yeah, I, earlier, I got going on 1 John 5. Remember that? He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, that wasn't written so we could go around condemning people who don't know the Son. That was written so that if you believe in the Son, you can have greater assurance of where it is you're going so it'll intensify your resolve to tell other people the good news of the kingdom. It's not a bad news of condemnation. It's good news of the kingdom, and you can be ready for the coming kingdom. But then the next verse is, and this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to you know the next two words? His will. He hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, then we know that we have received that which we've asked of him. So it's about praying according to God's will. The third application in this is verses 15 and 16 where it says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. That's actually the, the way the verb usage is there. It's about practicing sin. Okay, we, we all mess up, but, but this, is, uh, this is that habitual pattern. And there's great concern there when we're practicing things that we know go directly against God's plan for our life. And it even raises questions as to whether we're even believers at all. Okay? But, but what's going on here, it says, if they have sin and it's in context in a context that says not all sickness is directly tied to a sin because we have those believers in the church who are going to come up to you if you profess to being sick or broken in any way and they're going to say there's sin in your life well they don't know it right they don't know that but it says if they have sinned right they will be forgiven therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed god's restoration is spiritual it's physical it's relational it's it's emotional one of the things i really appreciate about the hebrew greeting shalom is that it's an all-encompassing blessing It's to bless people in every way possible. It's to bless them with peace. It's to bless them with prosperity, with success, with welfare, with good health, with great relationships, with deliverance, with salvation, with completeness, with soundness in all areas, soundness of mind, soundness in heart. God is the complete healer so that whenever we pray, we should pray believing that God is in the business of not just touching the obvious thing, but in making people whole in every way possible. That's the God that I serve. Amen? Yeah. So why should we confess our sins to to one another and pray for each other? Well, because if there is a sickness associated with sin, and by the way, just a side note, Psalm 32. You need to know that psalm. It says there, when I kept silent... My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. But then he says, then I said, I will confess 
and he forgave the guilt of my sin. See what's going on here? Sickness associated with sin. When it comes to communion, you go over to 1 Corinthians 11, and there we find that it states people are sick in the church because they're taking communion inappropriately. Very important statement that we take communion with proper understanding of why we're taking communion, okay? But, but right here, <clears throat> what, what we're dealing with is we're being vulnerable to each other for the sake of greater blessing upon one another. Because the devil knows that the moment the church begins to get honest with each other is the moment we shut him down. And when we come together and keep pretending like everything's okay, and you know my favorite story, right? Six kids driving to Catholic Church on a Sunday morning, two parents, right? Tucson, Arizona, 114 degrees outside. Windows are up in the car, and Dad's smoking. It's insane. And one bathroom for four girls and two boys to get ready. And we are furious in the car coming to church. And then the priest meets us at the door, and we're like, Good morning, Father Joe. Good to see you today. Now, when we begin to get real with each other, that's when we shut the devil down. And so it doesn't mean we have to confess everything publicly. There are those public sins that should be confessed publicly, but there are those private things that having two or three people who understand our struggle and can pray for us, it's very, very valuable. Verse 16, just the second part of the verse, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I love the King James, it availeth much. That is a person who is in right standing through faith in Jesus Christ. And the word that's used there is the Greek word energos, energeos, which means energy. That prayer of a righteous person has the energy to make the difference. And then he gives us this example of of Elijah that points us back to 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18. If you don't know the scenario, there's a wicked ruler at the helm. His name is King Ahab. His wife is Queen Jezebel, and the whole country is going to pot, okay? <laughs> Things are not good. And so uh, our man, Elijah, confronts the king, and he says, because of the wickedness in the land, there will not be rain for three and a half years. In fact, he prayed earnestly. He prayed with great travail for a revival to break out. And then he said there will be a uh, drought for three and a half years, which means no crops, animals are going to die, food's going to be scarce, and so forth and so on. Then after the, the three and a half years were over, Elijah issues a challenge. Here's the challenge. The one true God against all of your false gods. And guess who won? The one true God wins. And when the one true God wins, a revival breaks out, and it begins to rain when Elijah prays again. But look at verse 17. It says, Elijah was a human being even as we are. I like the old language better. Elijah was a man just like you. A mere man, a mere fallen man. Now think about the context of this, please. Think of the context of Elijah being a mere man who prayed and miracles happened. The context is, are you in trouble? Pray. Are you sick? 
Pray. Are you in the midst of a struggle? Pray. Get a few other people praying with you. Because if God can use a mere man like Elijah to make a difference, God can use you to make a difference. God can use a mom praying for a 14-year-old son to, to make a difference. And then the final point takes us to verse 19. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, literally see them turn around 180 degrees, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So what we have here, we clearly have a person who's fallen out of fellowship. He's fallen out of fellowship with God. He's fallen out of fellowship uh, with, with the church. He has an understanding of truth. He's not walking in it, no longer living his life uh, uh, at a point of his understanding of things. Now, in, t- in looking at this, I realize we have different perspectives as to how we see this. Is it talking about someone losing their salvation? Is it talking about someone who never had salvation? And we could carry that debate on forever. But let's forget that debate, and let's all agree on this. The person described here has somehow wandered away from the truth and is in big trouble and someone needs to go and rescue him i think we can all agree on that and any good lifeguard knows that there's a proper way to rescue someone and there's an improper way to to rescue one because victims tend to fight back and if you're out there in deep water trying to rescue someone who is drowning, it kind of works like this. If the rescuer gets taken down by the person being rescued, then a rescue isn't going to happen, right? It's got to be done the right way. When, and we're talking about rescuing someone who's lost their way in their faith. Larry talks about wandering away, being dragged out by the tide. By, by a riptide, needing someone to bring them back safely. There's many stories like that. In fact, one I read this week, a guy said, I felt like I was being pulled further and further out to sea, into deep water. All my friends were standing on the shore hurling accusations at me, accusations of, of, about justice and condemnation and sin. But there was one friend, There was one person, a believer, who actually swam out to get me, and he wouldn't let me go. I fought him, and I fought him hard, but he withstood my fighting. He prayed for me. He loved me. He grasped me. He put a life jacket on me, and he somehow managed to pull me to shore. And then this guy concludes, by the grace of God, he was the single reason that I was restored because my friend refused to let me go. Now listen to Galatians chapter 6. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a riptide, if someone is caught in a sin, you who believe by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourself, for you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And right there, is there someone you know who's gotten away from the faith? And you need to play your part in going after them. I know someone I need to go after. And maybe you're the person who's needing rescued. And you're just hoping that someone will come your way. And I pray that whoever that person is will hear the promptings of God and come after you. So here we are at the end of James. 
And, and he's calling us to prayer. Prayer, our most powerful weapon is fellowship with God, talking with God through prayer. The results often exceed our expectations because God will, can do, does exceedingly abundantly above all we will ever ask, hope, dream, or imagine. And he's going to do it with us or without us. God is in the business of baffling people with great miracles. But we have a problem with backward thinking. We tend to think of prayer as a last resort. We laugh at the idea. We mock the idea like it's like playing the lottery. But God says, make it a first resort. Pray. And he tells us to do exactly that. Yeah. So here's a couple of things that, um, that well, I'll just close with. First, have the nerve to ask. There's a great word for it in the King James Bible. It's the word importunity. And you need to know the word importunity. And in this word, Jesus is telling a story about a man who had guests show up at midnight. And he had no bread to give them. So he goes to his neighbor's house to borrow bread. He gets the man out of bed. The man gets up to give him bread and helps him not because he was persistent, but because of importunity He simply had the nerve to ask. Shameless audacity. What's the context of that statement? The parable? What's your need? Just have the nerve to ask God. Just ask. Yeah, importunity. The second one is pray and don't stop praying. We tend to hear 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that says pray without ceasing. And we think we've got to sign up for a monastery, you know, join a monastery where all they do is chant songs all day. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying pray and don't give up on prayer. Because in due time, you will reap a harvest if you faint not. Keep praying. Keep believing. Third, pray in every phase of life. Prayer isn't just a fire extinguisher. Prayer is a beautiful pond. It's a swimming pond that you can jump into and splash around in and laugh and have joy, get all wet, enjoying. And yeah, if a fire crops up, you can use prayer to help put that fire out as well. Very important. Remember, praise, thanksgiving, and petitioning. They all work together. Do it again, Daddy. Do it again. Number four. Prayer isn't a substitute for our responsibility. In fact, guess what? The first thing to change in prayer is the prayer. And God just may want to move you into action to rescue somebody else. The fifth one, prayer isn't for the perfect. It's for the imperfect. How do I know? Because Elijah was a man just like you. God is calling us to pray. God is moving us to prayer. He wants us to increase in our believing. And I think the really cool thing is God doesn't have a device in his hand that's going to distract him from the moment. But he's ready. He's all ears. He's listening. Come and pray.
Why don't we stand up together? I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come and be available. And I want us to do some spiritual breathing here. I love the idea of spiritual breathing. Think about where you are in this matter of prayer. Think about where you are with needs in your life right now. Are you in the midst of striving, trying to solve it all yourself, trying to fix it, you know, doing research online, trying to find the right doctor, all this stuff before you pray? Just exhale right now. Confess. Agree with God about what he already knows about where you are. He accepts you right there. And then inhale. Invite the Lord Jesus to take his place on the throne of your life. And in so doing, appropriate the fullness of the Holy Spirit on the throne of your life. And in that, let him take control of that area of need right now by faith. Lord, thank you that you know my need better than I do. I agree with you that I've been striving, trying to fix things. I confess. But today I give that area of my life to you. Lord, take the throne of my life. Bring that fullness that you promised. Make me the person you've created me to be. Thank you, Lord, for doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Continue to consider that, and worship team's gonna lead us. And let the Lord draw you.